podcast about being ace and loving space brought to you by the Tashi Station Network. I'm Shoshana. I'm Seth. And thank you for tuning in to our pilot episode. Our ace space pilot episode. Yes, our ace pilot episode. <laughs> because we're, we're ace pilots. I'm totally have eyesight that is good enough to be a pilot. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm not extraordinarily nearsighted. No. no. Oh, we're fine. We're, we're good pilots. It's fine. So sure. Yes. Tell our yes. listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, I am extraordinarily nearsighted. <laughs> um, and I am in the process of moving. So we'll see how well this con- uh, internet connection is in the future. <laughs> <laughs> um. I currently work at a comic shop, which will probably change when I'm no longer in the same state as the comic shop. And I am asexual and most likely aromantic. Woohoo. Yep. And I'm a staff, a staff writer, not staff writer. What am I saying? For uh, Toshi Station at Toshi-Station.com. Yes. And thank you to Toshi Station for having us and letting us have a podcast. Um, both of us already appear on other podcasts on this network, such as of Dyson Droids, which we are on the same team of, and also Western Reachers, which is something I'm on. I'm Seth, and I am just a writer and a video game developer somewhat. And I live in New Zealand, and I am absolutely not a pilot at all. But I am definitely ace and largely aeromantic, so I've got that going for me. Yay! Neither of us exists. My favorite thing. Yes. Oh, and I currently live in Alaska, which means that at the moment I'm only four hour time difference from you. Yeah, time differences are weird. Because Alaska is so far away. Yeah, but they had to cram the whole, like, or rather most of the state in one time zone just to make things easier. Or else you'd have people, like, in Hawaii being eight hours different from the East Coast instead of just five. Right, that makes sense. But yes, next episode, I will be eight hours time difference, most likely. So, Saf. Yes. <laughs> All right. We are both great at introductions. We are. So, this podcast is obviously about asexuality, as is implied by the name. We're not going to be talking about super cool pilots and people who are good at things, though there are likely pr- super cool pilots and people who are good at things who are also ace. So, that could happen. We're, we're totally going to end up talking about super cool pilots at some point. You know what's going to happen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, sure. What yes, is the Seth. reason for our podcast existing? Well, the main purpose of it is to focus on the asexual experience and perspective to discuss invisibility representation and also just stuff we like and to boldly go wherever our conversation takes us. I don't know. It's kind of lonely being ace sometimes, even though the internet has allowed us to connect and then to accidentally find out that people we know through other things are also ace all over the place it's still hard to talk about stuff so i kind of wanted there to be a place to talk about you know asexuality and aromanticism and connected things i feel like that's a pretty good thing to want also i want a spaceship i mean don't we all a tie fighter a tie fighter would be so cool how could you i want an x-wing 
An X-Wing would also be cool, but TIE Fighters just look really nice. I mean, I guess so. and they And they apparently have ejection seats. Okay, that's... that's do they? I didn't think the Empire would care enough about their pilots for that. Have you read Aftermath, Saf? Yes. Was there an ejection seat in that? Yes. Well, apparently I'm bad at Star Wars. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so but you know far more about Star Wars zombies than I do. Oh yeah, I know a lot about Star Wars zombies. It's a real problem. Yes, and for everyone tuning in who's not super up-to-date on Star Wars literature or even somewhat up-to-date on Star Wars literature, fun fact, there's books about zombies in Star Wars. Yeah, there's Sith zombies and also Stormtrooper zombies. I haven't read that book, though, so I don't know much about them. But yeah, Red Harvest is a book that involves zombies who are also Sith, and it's actually a surprisingly good horror novel, even though it sounds ridiculous. But this podcast is not entirely about Star Wars, even though we are both huge Star Wars fans and also on a network that is largely Star Wars-based. This is for discussion in general of life and universe and all those kind of things. And also for media in general. So not just Star Wars, but books and comics and movies and whatever else we find that includes asexual characters or characters that can be read as asexual or romantic that give us representation and not invisibility. Because invisibility is surprisingly not a nice thing in the real world. It's true. It makes it really hard to cross the sidewalk. Yeah, people just don't see you coming. Yeah. <laughs> um, and because of our specific interests, much of the media we talk about will probably be science fiction and or fantasy based, but will possibly not be limited to just that. I don't know. We'll have to see. Yeah, I think we'll try to move out of that, but probably keep coming back to it because we just because we're it. nerds. Yeah, We are huge nerds, massive nerds. So speaking of asexuality, which is basically this entire podcast, we should probably <laughs> define what exactly asexuality and aromanticism are, because a lot of people don't know. It's not particularly a well-known term, or well-known terms in general, um, obviously, you know, LGBT, those four are pretty well-known. The ones that kind of branch off of that, they end up in the QIA other letters that get added onto the end, are generally not as talked about. And so, show what is asexuality to you? Um, well, the definition of asexuality that I've come to know is, um, when someone, or rather specifically the asexuality particular to humans, because there's annoying people who every time you mention it is going to be like, well, technically asexuality is a whole nother form of reproduction. Ugh. Yes. Hate those people. But in the context of human sexuality, asexuality is when someone does not experience sexual attraction to other humans. Or that sounded really weird. They don't experience sexual attraction. They may enjoy sex, they may have sex, but they do not feel an urge to engage in it towards other people, which is apparently a thing that other people experience. And I did not know that for a long time. Yeah, neither did I. I just thought that everyone else was really weird. Yeah, I thought it was just because of the media, like, hyped up sex all the time and people just kind of there was just so much focus on it it felt artificial to me yeah i thought it was really faked and that nobody actually felt it they just said they did so saf when was the first time you heard about asexuality i have no clue when i actually first heard that term it would have been when i was in high school at some point and it took me a long time to actually use it because it felt like it was a made-up thing like as soon as i heard it and the definition of it i was like oh yeah that that me but it for ages i didn't want to use it because nobody else ever talked about it and whenever you mention it to some people a lot of people there's a straight up question of like oh what does that mean or like haha you're a plant or something like that and so it's been something that's been kicking around for a while, like five years or so. Wait, wait, wait. Um, like seven, 
also years ago, but I probably heard it for the first time. What about you? Um, well, I probably heard the term before and just didn't meaningfully engage with it. But it wouldn't have been very long before. I heard about it when I was 21 in my fourth and final year of college. Specifically, while I was on Twitter, a webcomic creator that I quite like tweeted about how the asexual flag was basically the most depressing rainbow. Oh, it is. I think it was right when the design of the asexual flag uh, was first announced. This uh, webcomic creator, by the way, does not herself identify as asexual, but has much in common and was, you know, looking into that a lot. So that's one of the reasons I think that she found it. But yeah, so I was like, oh, I'm going to look this up. Wow, that is a rather depressing rainbow. And then I started reading about asexuality and I was like, wow, this seems really familiar. Maybe I am gray asexual, which... You know, thinking back doesn't actually make any sense because so gray asexual is another term for someone who is less sexual than most people, but not full on asexual. So someone who might occasionally experience uh, or rarely or weakly experience sexual attraction, which, yeah, I just I just don't. Or as far as I can tell, I just don't. So I don't even know. I guess I just kind of still wanted to, like, be, quote, normal, unquote. So... Yeah, that was fun. And then it took me, gosh, until I was, I think I was 22 or 23 before I started even thinking that I might also be aromantic, which we'll get to in a moment. But yeah, it took me a while after that to think, yeah, I probably am just straight up ace, no pun intended. Um <laughs> Yeah. And also, like, I, I called up a relative as soon as I, like, read about the word and was like, hey, this is a thing. And I think it might apply to me in some way. And it's a spectrum. And let's talk about this. And they were just like, um, don't ever talk to anybody about this again, because you might close off options for future relationships and no one will want to date you ever. That's my paraphrase. It wasn't actually that horrible. And really, they just needed time to adjust to it. They're much better about it now. And I'm not going to say who it was. <laughs> <laughs> they know. But yeah, so then it took me quite a while after that to really start opening up about it again and to like even talk to other relatives about it. Yeah, it's really hard when that happens when you say something like that. And I'm trying to figure it out and you ask someone close to you and they kind of give you this response that makes you feel like it's not normal and it's not okay in some way. And so it's harder to open up again to other people. I think I had a similar thing in high school or something when I tried to tell my friends about it and they were basically like... That's not normal. You'll feel different soon. You're just late to feelings and puberty or something, even though I wasn't particularly late to any of that. And so I was like, okay, I'll just wait like four years or something and everything will be fine again. And then, you know, a bunch of years later, here I am now. But yeah, asexuality is a spectrum. And so it does go from like being super, super sexual to no, no sexual desire at all. And so there's different spaces in between. So not everybody is full on, never, ever ever sexual desire and i sit in a weird part of it i am ace flux and so basically i constantly not constantly it's actually quite rare i very much will swap between being all the way at the end to being kind of somewhere at like on the more gray ace side 
And it's it's generally I'm ace basically like seventy five percent of the time, and then sometimes it switches, and I go back to being slightly less ace, but still largely ace. And it took me a long time to actually understand that I was ace because I would have these like phases for like a week or something where I didn't feel as ace essentially um and so for ages I refused to actually take on the label or to identify with myself with it or I'd have a caveat like I think I might be ace but I'm not sure because there's the idea that if you tell someone you're ace they won't want to have a relationship with you or they won't want to pursue anything with you and so it was hard to actually open up about that and say like I'd have I'd have that little I might not be ace thing just to be like you can still talk to me it's fine um and last year, one of my friends pointed out that being ace flux is a thing, you know, and as soon as I read about it, I was like, this, this is me. This is 100% what I am. But the problem with being ace flux is that a lot of people don't even know that term. And so even people in the ace spectrum don't know what that term is. And it's just it's a pain in the butt having to explain everything all the time. Yeah, it really is. Um, I had a train of thought and then it derailed and crashed into a fireball. Oh, no. Uh, goodness. Oh, yes. So asexuality it's a spectrum but it's also not like a monochromatic spectrum it's not just how much you are sexually attracted to people there's also you know flux like you just said and there's um demi sexuality um when someone may feel sexual attraction only after they have developed a strong um emotional tie to someone which from what i had heard from I don't know, my parents and general bits of popular culture and things. I kind of assumed that everyone was demisexual um, for the longest time and just kind of assumed that, oh, well, maybe I'm just like slow in developing like what you just said, Saf, about, you know, other people saying this to you. I just kind of assumed it about myself. Yeah. Um, that I was just behind in that. Like I was how it took longer for me to learn how to ride a bike kind of thing. So a lot of people I understand have thoughts of maybe being broken um, when they don't experience sexual attraction like that. And I was about half a step away from there before I found the term asexual. Yeah, that is definitely a huge problem that a lot of ace people deal with at some point is the idea that they're broken or something's wrong with them and that's why they feel like that. And I know I, I have definitely had times when I felt like that. Um, partly before I discovered the terms and partly after I discovered the terms and then people have just been awful about it. And there's the oversaturation of sexuality in media, which makes it really hard to cope with that sometimes because you'll find a character and you're like, oh, I think they're ace and then they'll end up not being ace and you'll just be like, oh. Okay. Yes, we don't exist in media at all. Um, but it's it's becoming more of a thing that people understand, which is kind of nice. Yeah. Well, the term itself wasn't even coined until relatively recently, and like I said, the flag wasn't designed until like I just like I heard about asexuality like a month or two after the flag was designed. That's how recently it was. It was like 2011. Who decides um, on these flags? I think Avon, I believe, uh, designed it, and then people just kind of started adopting it. Um, And I think that's what happens with a lot of the flags. I know for some things, multiple flags are designed, and then one of them ends up being in favor. Like with uh, aromanticism, I've seen like three different designs, but there's like two that are more commonly used. I like the aromantic colors. They're cool. Uh, I like one particular set of aromantic colors and then another one I'm kind of like why who thought of this and then another one I'm like oh, this is good too so wait which one just, is the not so good one there's one that I've heard compared to the flag of Jamaica because oh, yeah. it has like green and um green yellow red and black yep. I think yep I just googled it and that yep it's yep. very bright and very 
Well, like, I'm just kind of confused by it. But, you know, I'm sure whoever designed it had good reasons for doing it that way. It's just kind of does not appeal to my own particular aesthetic. And I kind of like the idea of it being similar to the asexual flag, which is, um, for listeners who are unaware, uh, purple, white, gray, and black. Yeah. Yeah, I like that there's an ace flag that is um green, white, gray, and black, which is lovely. I love green, so I'm very fond of that flag. Oh, that one? The ace flag? No, it's green. You just know you just said it was an ace flag. Oh, I mean arrow. Isn't flag. that an arrow flag? I mean yeah, arrow like- flag. <laughs> they have yes, green is letters. the best color. So <laughs> yes. So then another thing with asexuality that was fun when I first heard about it was uh so finding a good definition for sexual attraction is really hard because everyone assumes that you have it, but not nearly as hard as finding a good definition for romantic attraction. So I spent hours online trying to figure trying to find a good description of sexual attraction and i think i kind of figured it out but it's still like what the heck this is super weird you have it on me i i do not have it on me but it's <laughs> like you know again it's like the, the urge to have sex with someone or like i saw many a year ago when i was still on tumblr there was a post um that was kind of like okay if if sex is donuts, an asexual is someone who can see a donut, and they might like donuts, they might not like donuts. They might be hungry, they might not be hungry, they don't have an urge to eat the donut. They can eat it if they want, but there's no, like, urge for that. So that's probably the best metaphor I've seen for it. Yeah, and some people are disgusted by the donut. That works really well, actually. Yeah. Oh, that's, you know, another thing. Uh, before we move on to aromanticism, which keeps getting mentioned and sits in the corner, sadly... Uh, there are, just because someone doesn't feel sexual attraction doesn't mean that they have the same attitude towards sex and sexual attraction as every other asexual. So there's some people who are repulsed by the thought of sex, some people who are, or uh, some people who are indifferent to the thought of sex, again, some people who might enjoy it, um, some people who might be repulsed by it, but only when they're like in the context of them themselves having sex. It's a whole wide thing. There's not one way to be asexual. Yeah, and it, you can't expect every asexual to feel the same as well. Like if you know one asexual, you're like, oh, asexuality means this. You can meet another one. They might have an entirely different opinion on sex and intimacy, and you can't expect either of them to act the same or for either of them to be the definition of what asexuality is. So say you met an asexual and they said that they were okay with having sex with people they were close with. And then you found another asexual and you liked them and you got close with them and they said that they didn't like it. You couldn't expect them to feel the same way as the other person. You can't expect basically the same as like in real life. You can't expect every person to feel the same about everything. Everyone who's like is allosexual, which is the opposite of asexual, not the opposite, but you know, it's having someone having who's not desire. asexual. Yeah. Having the desire for that. Um, every allosexual has different feelings on it as well. And it's similar to that. We are not a hive mind or are we? No, we're not. <laughs> we're not a hive mind. I'm sorry. I, I built up all that suspense for nothing. Alas. <laughs> so aromanticism, which we keep mentioning, and which you've probably gathered if you don't know by now, is similar to asexuality in that it is the lack of romantic attraction or romantic desires, which is really hard to explain to people who aren't aromantic. Yeah, because like, there's such a mental tie, I think, um, that our society makes between asexuality, or sorry, not asexuality, sexual attraction and romantic attraction. Oftentimes, they aren't 
differentiated at all. And people like romantic attraction is especially focused on as being universal and what is necessary for happiness in life. And, you know, romance, you know, you want a romantic relationship, even if you can't be with that person, oh, you can still have a romantic relationship long distance, that whole thing. So because it's just so widely assumed to be there for everyone, even before they go through puberty and get the talk, uh, no one really seems to be able to actually, like, describe romantic attraction, which I actually had many a long conversation with uh, my therapist about. I wasn't getting therapy for being asexual. <laughs> By the way, this just came up. Um, was... She was not aromantic, and she couldn't define romantic attraction either, and had never thought about it at all, because it was always just kind of assumed to be there. Yeah, I totally agree. It is just assumed to be there. And it is, like, it is so linked up with sexual attraction in just the modern world completely. There's the idea that if you are romantically attracted to someone, you'll be sexually attracted to them, and that, you know, sex is just another part of being in love, or having crushes or something like that. And so it's hard to separate them when you're trying to explain it to people and be like, especially being, I, I am also Aeroflux and being Ace Flux and being Aeroflux do not necessarily go hand in hand. So sometimes I am fully Ace and sometimes, and at the same time, I could still be having romantic feelings to people or that could go vice versa. And people don't understand that those two things don't go together. Necessarily. Yeah. They can. They can easily go together. And for people who are alloromantic, dumb word to say, and allosexual, it, it can easily go hand in hand. And it doesn't get separated. Yeah. And I believe I read a statistic recently that was, so not all asexuals are aromantic or even most asexuals. Uh, according to what I read, at least it was like 17%, which, you know, my own experience with encountering people seems about right. It could be, you know, a completely made up number for all I know. But one thing that is true is not all asexuals are aromantic and not all people who are aromantic are asexual. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and of course, you know, romantic attraction uh, manifests in the same sorts of orientation sexual attraction does with people being, you know, heteroromantic, homoromantic, biromantic, demiromantic, much like with demisexual. We just talked about gray romantic. Um, it's just kind of all over the place. And we have all these terms to help us kind of try to describe it because it is so complex. And aromanticism is something that, uh, like asexuality, I had difficulty fully applying it to myself. Unlike asexuality, it took me, it, it took me much longer to start even considering that I might be aromantic because it is so tied to the cultural narrative that you need a romantic relationship to be happy that you need that you know you have to be able to experience those feelings like every story if it's going to have a happy ending there's going to be you know a romantic interest and it's not he lived happily ever after or she lived happily ever after it's always they in the plural sense lived happily ever after um so it was terrifying to think about and that's still something that i kind of struggle with in part because as mentioned before it's really really hard to find a definition for romantic attraction unlike sexual attraction where people can at least say oh there's a physical component romantic attraction who knows so that's always fun to suddenly have anxiety out of nowhere about yeah i had a similar thing where i really didn't want to use that label um 
And it was so similar to asexuality for me as well that I didn't want to entirely use it because I had the flux thing going on. And yeah, there's totally that narrative, the cultural narrative that you need someone to be happy. You end up together in a pair and you're happy forever after that. Or that you won't ever be truly happy without a relationship. And I see that a lot in my friends and people I know that when they're single, they're they're always looking for somebody to date and they're like, why can't I find someone to date? Why won't anyone love me? What's wrong with me? And I'm still sitting there as an aromantic like, um, I, I don't know. <laughs> don't ask me for advice. I don't want it's like, this. It's like I've always really heard it, or hate heard it, wow, hated the term Singles Awareness Day for Valentine's Day. And it kind of bugged me because it's like, wow, that seems really bitter. But like, I know I, I just never understood how important it was for people to have a partner. So people feel empty, I guess, without having a partner on Valentine's Day. I don't know. I haven't experienced that. But it was always just baffling to me that people felt a need to have, you know, that kind of partner. Even while for myself, I was expecting that, you know, eventually I would find one. Like, you know, there's the narrative of how your life is supposed to go out where you're a kid and then you're a teenager and then you're, you grow up and you get a job and you get married and you have kids and they have and then they eventually get married and have kids. So you are old and have grandchildren with your partner. And that's the way it's supposed to go. And that's the way you be happy. But really, there's no one way for people to be happy. But this is just so, the story is so prevalent in our culture. It's just really hard to break away from that. It can actually get me down sometimes. Like, I'll be, I'll be wanting to just watch, like, a movie. And I'll be maybe feeling particularly bad about my aromanticism for whatever reason. And I'll watch a movie and it'll be like, it's a, it's a romance movie or something. And they'll end up happily in love. And I'm just like, why couldn't they have just been friends? <laughs> why can't it just be platonic? And that's why, actually, I'm going to bring up this media right now. That's why I really like Pacific Rim. Because in the I was ending, actually just thinking about that. Yeah, it like, was really surprising that in the end we got both of their names: Ra- Raleigh, Rayleigh, Raleigh, and yeah, it's it's Ra- uh, Raleigh and uh, the character Rinko Kikuchi plays Makamori. Mako, yeah, they end up like it. It could easily have gone into being romantic, but in the end, they it just kind of turns into like it could be romantic, but it also could be platonic. Yeah, it was ambiguous, and Tumblr exploded, and you had all these very, very long think pieces about how uh, clearly you have to interpret it as them being platonic, or no, you have to interpret it as them being romantic. But like the fact that there was a possibility there that they didn't kiss at the end is such a huge deal. Spoilers, by the way, for for Pacific Rim, you should still go watch it anyways because it's it's really good. Um. Yeah, that movie was kind of like groundbreaking a little bit for me because I hadn't ever really thought about the fact that that was an issue until I saw it being represented, represented, represented in some way that made me realize that it was something I was missing, sort of. Because um, everybody, other romantics get all kinds of media, everything, literally everything caters to them, unless you know that they're on the LGBT somewhere on it, and and under that umbrella somewhere, um, then it might not cater to them particularly. But if you're straight and you're romantic, then odds are there's like a million things out there for you that perfectly capture how it feels to be in love and to have those struggles. But for everybody else who is aromantic, they're just kind of sitting there like, I don't understand. This is, this is alien. These feelings do not mean anything to me. Yeah, it's still, still fun to like read stories with romance, though, or watch movies with romance. Like You can still vicariously enjoy it, I guess. Yes. Yeah. I mean, vicariously might be the wrong word in this case, but. (laughs) Yeah, some of my favorite movies are definitely romance films. Um, And I mean, at the moment, I'm writing a lover, love, 
remember. I'm writing a dating sim, um, which involves romance. And I'm just like, for the first time, I'm realizing how differently I must think when it comes to that kind of stuff, because I just don't know how to write this. It's not intuitive and it's really hard. That's funny because like, gosh, maybe it was even a year ago. We were on Twitter and we were making jokes about like how awkward it would be for either of us to try to write romance scenes. Right? I remember that. (laughs) And then they like kissed or something and it was hot. <laughs> That's kind of how it is. I I wrote people writing hands. I wrote them writing hands, and I was like, "This is this is romance, holding right? hands. This is this is the epitome of romance, right?" Was it holding hands? Yeah. Okay. You said writing. Writing. Why am I so bad at words today? They were holding. <laughs> words hands. are hard <laughs> for a podcaster. I sure don't know how to talk. <laughs> it's not like words are your literal job. So, think that about covers that? Yeah, I'd say so. Okay. Well, asexuality and aromanticism will definitely come up again in later episodes, and probably some more this episode, in the context of what the heck they are and how freaking complex they are. So complex. Too complex. So, Saf, other than asexuality, aromanticism, and how freaking complex they are, um, what are some things you hope that we cover in future episodes? Or even in, like, five minutes, I don't know. (laughs) I can't see the future. I am keen to see us cover different representations of these things in media and how they can be done well. Um, And also potentially just, like, life advice. Maybe. I'm bad at advice. But I, I I mean, I love media. I love writing. I love the way different writers do different things. And it's really exciting to me to think about how these, I forgot what they were called. I forgot the word I wanted. Um, things. These Representations? I, these identities. That's what I want. These identities can be represented in various ways. Yeah, that's all very important. Um, just how you can have representation and how important it is. I'm just going to say important a lot right now. I need more coffee. It's important. Um, it is important. It is so important. And the import of this important thing is that it's important. No. Um, <laughs> I think an- another thing that I hope that we cover in the future is just how we're affected by representation. Because like, I don't know, I'm a relatively white cisgender person in the United States. Um, When I was little, I didn't really think about, well, in some ways I thought about representation, but not for, you know, a lot of different things. I never really thought about how important it could be if you're like, if you differ from what's considered the default more than just little, Um, which is weird because I actually differed from it a lot. But like, as I as I got older, I was just kind of only then did it strike me how much uh, the lack of representation of myself had affected me and how much seeing representation now for myself, you know, impacts me now. So I really want to talk about that. And also I want to talk about Star Wars in the future. Oh yeah. And we a hundred percent have Star Wars on our list of future things. Oh yes. (laughs) And also web comics. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah, actually, I completely agree with you on the um, representation thing, because it was something I didn't really realize as a child either. It just kind of, I was a very daft child, and so I didn't <laughs> ever think about anything. And I grew into a somewhat daft adult. But I, but are you now, a punk? I used to be one when I was a kid. Um, <laughs> so you were a daft punk, but you yeah. aren't anymore. I just grew up into being daft. I'm just half, half of what I used to be. Alas. <laughs> But it is weird how much you don't think about how much representation doesn't matter to you until you get the representation. And suddenly it just feels like this beam of light just has opened up upon you from the clouds. And there's like choral music playing 
and you're crying, and you're just like, I don't understand why I feel this way, but I feel happy. I don't know if everyone feels like that. That's how I feel when I suddenly discover representation. Yeah, like the first time I uh, kind of ran across representation in something that wasn't about being asexual, but in like this, you know, completely different sort of webcomic, um, like an interdimensional fantasy thing. The main character turned out like a thousand pages in to be a romantic and asexual. And I think I actually like, I think I actually teared up, which is rather rare for me. Um and it wasn't like a big deal. And I'm not especially similar to this character in other ways. Like I can't punch holes through walls, but it got me tearing up for a while after that, whenever I thought about it. And um, the first time I, uh, that I had warning about the first time I incidentally ran across a character just, you know, being mentioned as being asexual was in uh, Ancillary Sword, where there's just one line partway in about a supporting cast member. Oh, yeah, no, I don't think she's attracted to anyone. Then they move on. But I had to put down the book at that point. Yeah, I read which, that theory recently, and I had the same same reaction. Um, I read it, like, last month, I think. And I got to that point, and I just I, I put the book down, and I was like, oh, my oh my gosh. Oh, my gosh. How can yeah, this be and, real? I, and I um, had the opportunity to talk to Anne Leckie at uh, Worldcon last year in Spokane. And I mentioned that and how important that was to me, to her. And she said that it's such a small thing, but a lot of people have told her the same thing about it being so important, which really speaks a lot to how little representation there is and how, you know, how much even a, a tiny little bit can affect people. Yeah. And I feel like the way she did that was good. But also, I feel like we should save that for a future episode. <laughs> we can still talk about it more in a future episode. Oh, yeah, definitely. I really liked it. I'm, I'm glad that people have been telling her about it, too. She knows. Yeah. Speaking of, that's another thing I hope that we talk about in the future is just kind of stuff that we like. Because since we are both ace to some capacity, no matter what we talk about, we're talking about it with the ace perspective. Yeah. So... Just and talking about things, you know. Yes. And I'd love to talk about that in reference to us also, like, creating things. Because yes. that perspective comes into anything we make inherently without us even thinking about it. Yes. And I'm sure we will have guests in the future as well. Exciting guests of some kind. Yeah, I was going to make a comment about my cats wanting to be on this, but they're actually sitting quite quietly ignoring me. So, <laughs> never mind. They're well behaved. If only they were being well-behaved earlier. They wanted to contribute to the notes, right? <laughs> yes, they added some quite interesting uh, letters to the title. Oh, dear. And also some numbers. <laughs> yeah, I probably should have left them in there. Oh, well. <laughs> the cats know what they're on about. It's true. So, have we introduced the space of the ace enough, you think? I think so. I think we've covered everything. I think, though, we should open ourselves up in a platonic way to our listeners to ask us any questions about asexuality or aromanticism or things they would like us to talk about in the future potentially yes or if you would like to share some of your experiences feel free and if you don't want us talking about you know whatever you talk about on the podcast let us know and if you don't want us to say who you are on the podcast you can let us know but you can find us on Twitter and on Toshi-Station.net to contact us about these things. Yeah. Um, yes. Saf, what is your Twitter handle? It's a good one. It's Wanderlustin, 
which is like Wanderlusting, but without the G, because that was taken. How about you, Shua? Where can we find you? On Twitter, I am R-Y-O-R-I-N, which is Riorin, which has a long, complicated history, but... And then again, you can find our staff emails for toshi-station.net at toshi-station.net. Yes. I like that you almost said Toffee Station, and that got me really excited about Toffee. <laughs> the Toffee Station Network, where you can pick up your toffee converters. <laughs> what they convert from, I don't know. I but don't wanna, I don't want to ask the question. Or maybe they turn toffee into power, but then you aren't eating it, and that's sad. I mean, technically our bodies are toffee converters, because we put toffee in and it gives us power. That's true. Yeah. Toffee-powered robots. <laughs> from space. That's what we are, folks. Oh, and you can find us at the iTunes store on the main Toshi Station feed. And we should soon also have our own feed on the iTunes store as well. If for some reason you don't want to listen to all the other fantastic podcasts that are part of the Toshi Station network. Yeah, if you're sick of hearing my voice, I understand. How could anyone be sick of hearing your voice? (laughs) I mean, Australians might be. They're not fond of our accents. Well, then they're just wrong. So, yeah. Clearly. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you again to Toshi Station for having us because they are lovely. And go check out their other podcast. They just have Throncast, which just started last week, week before, uh, a while ago. Yep. There's also the uh, Toshi Station Book Club podcast, which is another podcast about books on Toshi Station. Um, Yeah, we really love books. (laughs) And Star Wars. And Star Wars books. But this particular one is not about Star Wars. It is actually about books by, you know, authors that are not part of what we consider the default in, you know, uh, American and New Zealand culture. And there is a group on Goodreads if you would like to join the book club and suggest some books. Um, And there is also... Of Dice and Droids, which is a, well, it's, you know, if you want to listen to us playing a tabletop Star Wars RPG and making complete fools of ourselves as we watch another friend of ours make a complete fool of himself (laughs) and flirt his way through trouble, into trouble and out of trouble. It's very strange. It's a fun Um, podcast. It is. It's pretty it's pretty ridiculous. Yeah. Toshi Station, the Toshi Station, Toshi Station, the network has great stuff, so definitely check it out. Um, subscribe to it to listen to us, and also subscribe to us when we eventually get our own feed. And there's also the main Toshi Station podcast. Oh yeah, that exists. It's it's what started the whole site. Like, and also Western Reaches, which Saf mentioned before, in case you are not sick of her voice and want to hear her and her lovely co-host talk about stuff that mostly involves Halo. Oh yeah, we love our Halo. I mean, listen to that for Megan, because she is amazing and super smart. Yes. So the intro music to this podcast is Goodbye Moon by the esteemed Marion Call, and the outro music is Stars by the excellent Seth Boyer. Links to both of their sites are available in the show notes, and you should check them out. I realize we totally did not come up with an outro line for this podcast. I, yeah, maybe we could just talk about random stuff, like on the Podrin, <laughs> which, hmm, was it out? No, we shouldn't tell everyone to stay out, but I know that I mean, and like, you're ace, but you don't always stay ace. Yeah. Like, questionable advice. Hmm. Ace out. Ace out. (laughs) I'm gonna keep going.